0: Hello. Welcome to the VESC podcast at NCU. I'm the director of VESC, Dr. Amy Lynn. This is part two of the podcast, Truth-Telling, American Indian Lived Experiences in the Online Environment.
1: You have all talked about some of the barriers and challenges in this previous question. I'd like to ask this now. What do you feel are the most significant issues facing American Indian students today? And let's go ahead and start with Jerome. Yeah, that's a, whew,
2: it's a big one. Um, you know, there's uh, so many unique challenges, but I think getting back to um, access, being able to um, see that there are programs that are out there that are available. You know, there's there's financing issues. There's the issue of, uh, feeling comfortable or belonging, that sense of belonging. And so when we talk about some of these uh, challenges, I think American Indian students um, traditionally, you know, have been again, really rooted in our, our cultures within the reservation. I know from a, a urban setting, even uh, urban families that are that are living within the city, You know, and they still are. If they have a very strong cultural group, there's that connection and that maybe that fear of leaving home or that responsibility of um, our duties to our family and making sure that that's taken care of. I think one other challenge um, is that thought of trying to stay rooted in your culture, and if you if you leave home, go to a residential program at a university. Uh, perhaps you're missing some ceremonies. Perhaps you're not able to participate in uh, some of those really important cultural events that um, that occur while we're gone. So there's that sense of sacrifice and understanding. Um, of course, there are programs and, and there are uh, support groups. Um, I, I reflect on some of the work that just came out with the University of Minnesota in their uh, center of Indigenous Nations program the coin program there it's just wonderful to know that there are these support groups at different organizations and institutions that they can rely on and maybe find some comfort and support in in their challenges of trying to stay uh, traditional and maybe sharing and helping them come through that uh, as a a learning if they're not able to get home. I know that there are some programs that do offer assistance with um, traveling back home or having an understanding if there are important uh, ceremonial times that they can get back home and work very closely. I think that's one of the, the beauties of of NCU. I reflect back to Shana's comments, and and I too have had really good um interaction with those that I've been able to to share thus far in in this program and it's really it brings comfort to me because it's very indicative and and very um like our apprenticeship programs in that traditional experiential learning where you learn from one of your elders or you know uh a master carver or a a person that is uh, really versed in the language and have that one-on-one connection. So it's really, uh, for me at NCU, that has been one of the driving forces for me to feel comfortable. In other programs, it's hard, it has been hard for me to feel like I, I have a group that really understands the challenges that I face with my family and and with some of the traditional and and, uh, cultural responsibilities I have with my own people. Um, So I think that's one of those beauties is that there are so many individual issues for each, but to know that there's a support group and to be able to help an American Indian student find that support if they choose to go to a uh, institution that has a residential program or even online to uh, be able to hear their needs and to have them, the institution, listen and respond to that providing support.
1: Jerome, thank you so much for sharing the issues. And you've not only shared those issues, but you have shared how universities are stepping up and supporting. Eddie, can you share with us your experience?
3: So I think it's still the same that it's always been, the struggle for identity. And you know some of the benefits of the generations that be, came before us that fought for self-determination uh, during the Kennedy presidency, um, and really you know took a stand uh, in a way that that education, e- even though native kids were being sent off to schools, <coughs> they were primarily boarding schools, or tribal schools that were really designed around assimilation. And so with determination, with self-determination uh, in, in the classroom, e- even though there was this sense of, uh, you know, looking at culture, it was from almost from the perspective of the war department. And I think as time goes on, what we're really looking at these days are that the depth and the next step be beyond self-determination and sovereignty, which is educational sovereignty. And in educational sovereignty, students can, in a very safe and healthy environment, discuss decolonization, you know, that is built primarily around a Western economic worldview a very Eurocentric model of governance. Um, And I think that's still the struggle. I think young people are still wanting to find their own identity through their own tribes, through their languages, through our songs, through our ceremonies, through our communities, through our relationships, and be comfortable with that. Um, You know, so I think, I think in many ways the struggles are, are very – been what they've always been, trying to uh, revitalize. I, I think that's the big shift. Um, preservation, there was a time where we were all just trying to preserve things, and now we're trying to revitalize those cultural uh, identities. And that, to me, is the most significant issue facing young people today and – universities right where they do uh, where they, they make space and create space for real empowerment to uh, in uh, young indigenous scholars who uh, want to participate in education but at the same time uh, don't you know there used to be this great saying at ASU when I was going there in the early 90s Native people they would say, When you go to ASU, make sure and leave your heart at home. And, you know, I think that we have an opportunity now to change that, right? And so the whole person can come in for the door at the college and be embraced uh, for who they are and what they bring to the college, as well as what the college can teach them. So I would say educational sovereignty is the most significant issue facing Native folks today.
1: Thank you, Eddie. This is a lot of great information. Shayna, what do you feel are the most significant issues facing American Indian students today?
0: Well, I feel like my fellow panelists here just did an absolutely phenomenal job with that answer. (laughs) But if I had to add something to this conversation, I would say that it's the lack of support and lack of resources offered at predominantly white institutions. Um, that are given to Native student groups and Native student programs. Um, in my research, um, I found um, by Baysmore, James, and Dunn, um, they wrote an article in 2020 called The Modern Era of Indigenous College Student Support in Primarily White Institutions. And so they interviewed um, Indigenous student affairs directors. And what they found was that you know, PWIs are creating institutional barriers, which are making it, even though these programs are able to increase Indigenous student retention, there's these institutional barriers that are making it so hard for these people to do their jobs, right? And there's this lack of Native faculty, as well in higher education institutions. That um, also, I think that's, that's a significant issue that American Indian students face today, because now when they go to a higher ed institution, they might not see themselves, you know, within the curriculum, or, you know, have professors that they can speak to um, about any issues that they're facing.
1: Thank you so much, Shayna, and thanks to each of you for this impactful discussion.
0: Absolutely, yes. So as a student at NCU, I believe that they absolutely value me and my identity. You know, like I've mentioned throughout this, this conversation that you know, I reached out, like, in the commons and helped create the Native and Indigenous Collective Connections, and now it's an official group. But NCU could have easily came back and said, nope, nope, we, we don't need that, right? We don't need another another group in the commons. Not happening. But instead, they listened to me. I'm just one student. Um, and they were just like, yeah, like, let's do this. Let, let's move forward with this. And so they helped make this group a reality, even though the native student population at NCU is quite small. They were like, hey, if this this is a support that you need, like we're here for it, let's make it happen. And in my upcoming blog post, I'm gonna talk about a personal experience where NCU listened to me when it comes to land acknowledgements. And so I can say with absolute certainty that NCU is willing to do what it takes to make its students feel welcome and included. Shana,
1: thank you so much. And what wonderful support you've had. Thanks for sharing that. Jerome, can you talk a little bit about this? As an American Indian educator, do you feel your institution values your cultural identity? And if so, in what ways do they value you?
2: Well, I will agree and uh, just stand right behind and hold Shana's comments up. Um, I've just been really impressed and encouraged by the support at NCU in regards to not only American Indian, but other diverse cultures and cultural groups to have the ability to to have a voice, to have a place at the table, you know, as has been said in the past. So um, currently within the program that I'm in, most certainly I I feel that support. You know, there are challenges. I, I do still work as a student trying to figure out the funding and Making time, but I think as far as the recognition of who I am as an individual, what I'd like to do, even within the focus of of my degree, uh, it might not be a focus area that is at uh, or granted by NCU, but it but it allows me to be flexible and incorporate what I'd like to do and what study that I have to reflect it on and and to present into a a possibility of, of, uh, you know, still working towards a degree that would reflect that. So I really do feel supported. Um, Other institutions, I had uh, my master's from California Coast University. It was more of a uh, a generic program, very helpful, very good. I I felt challenged, but maybe not the same. It was uh, more of a, a very individual, and at times somewhat lonely (laughs) experience, but uh, my undergrad from the Evergreen State University in Olympia, Washington, I was absolutely blessed that that uh, state institution, they actually had a house of learning, a long house uh, where it was through a reservation based program. All of the different tribes in that area of the region here in the Pacific Northwest were representative and had a place and it was actually reflected in the actual, uh, building. We actually walked into a traditional, uh, long house that, uh, that is very, um, similar to a number of our cultures here in the coast, but, um, still had members that were not coastal people, still very inclusive and, um, and very supportive. So, a lot of institutions um, are out there that do give that support and uh, make you feel, you know, apart. But again, there's there's a number of uh, areas and places that that doesn't happen where our American Indian, Alaskan Native students are going to school. And, and the fear for me is that they lose that sense of identity or belonging. And, and in some ways, uh, maybe not achieve their highest potential. But uh, for me, I think it's important to really open, openly accept and, and to support those cultural identities because it's a very big part of who that scholar is and to develop them and the benefits that come from their thinking and input is is very important when we do that.
1: Jerome, thank you so much. Amazing, really amazing points of discussion. So, Eddie you may bring a different perspective as you're coming from a different institution. As an American Indian educator, do you feel your institution values your cultural identity? And if so, in what ways do they value you?
3: Well, since the title of our podcast is truth telling, um, I think there's a couple of layers to that. As a student, at NAU and ASU, absolutely yes, the answer. As a faculty member at the college where I'm at now, I would say yes, but with conditions. And I think there is a a part of that, that there there is a lot of support kind of colored with tolerance and um, at my institution, I have never seen an American Indian president, vice president, dean, or any other high-level uh, uh, position at, at my college. I've never seen an American Indian in any of those positions that are at the table that make uh, decisions. But with that said, again, um, I, I think we do uh, receive a lot of support uh, around um, issues of uh, identity, and I I think that um, I think I, I think the potential to invest in the in our the intellectual um, capital that tribal members can bring to the college uh, I think is yet to be realized. You know, like I keep I keep wanting uh, to talk to our leaders about maybe trying a different model of governance rather than the this Eurocentric top down model, and and I'd like to see a little more indigenous uh, governance. You know, things that draw off the Great Law of Peace or real shared governance. You know, where there is an, a a better distribution of decision-makers that looks more like an indigenous form of, of, of governance. So that that's my answer. I would say yes. Uh, as a student, 100%, absolutely. Uh, as a faculty person, yes, with some conditions.
1: Wow. Um, really great discussion. Thank you so much, Eddie. We are going to return to our discussion about treaties and tribal sovereignty. Our next question is a combined question about teaching leaders in higher education about treaties and laws between the Indian nations and state and federal government, and the importance of tribal sovereignty to the welfare and future of American Indian nations. The first question is, Why is it important to teach leaders in higher education about the legal treaty agreements between Indian nations and both the state and federal governments with regard to student success? And why is tribal sovereignty so vital to the welfare and future of American Indian nations, students, and education? And I'd like to start this uh, off with Eddie.
3: Um, Yeah, very important question. I think for me, again, and I put my perspective in a generational uh, perspective of my life experience and the leaders that taught me about these issues. Uh, I, I just think it's very, very important that presidents, vice president deans do welcome to the table indigenous leaders from the community and that they actually take action on, the, the com- on those conversations. Because I have say this a lot, uh, the tendency for young uh, Native people is to get involved with multicultural uh, status and multicultural programs. And, um, you know, we, we've fought against that. At least, you know, the people around me growing up, uh, we don't want to be put in multicultural, uh, you know, blender, this melting pot. We are not from somewhere else. We're, we're not seeking constitutional rights as a foreigner coming to this country. We are indigenous to this country, and we want to be recognized as treaty to treaty relationships with the government. The public schools, community colleges, universities, are extensions of our government. And so universities and colleges need to deal with with Indian people and Indian issues based on treaty knowledge and the responsibility that they have to fulfill those uh, treaty agreements. And so that's, to me, the most important reason uh, leaders, uh, Indian people, Indian leaders, Indian educators, uh, need the opportunity to uh, educate uh, their institutional leaders so that they, they understand, you know, that we do not want to be put in this multicultural melting pot, you know. Uh, And and I think it's significant. And uh, yeah, that's those are my thoughts.
1: Eddie, thank you so much for sharing this important information. Next, we're going to hear from Shana. Shana, I will reread those two questions because they're a little bit long. So why is it important to teach leaders in higher education about the legal treaty agreements between Indian nations and both the state and federal governments with regard to student success? And why is tribal sovereignty so vital to the welfare and future of American Indian nations, students, and education?
0: So for me, I think it's really because higher ed has a role to play right? They have to take action. And it can't just be something that's performative. It can't just be with words. There really has to be action behind those words. And it really takes those partnerships between tribes and state and federal and higher ed institutions to make education for American Indian students a success. So higher ed leaders have to understand and and honor our tribal sovereignty. And then they also have to take those steps to create those partnerships Um, that can create equitable access to higher ed, and they need to support funding, you know, for higher education for Native students. So if we really want to see American Indian students succeed in higher ed, it takes everyone working together and and using their resources in order to make that happen.
1: Thank you so much, Dana. Jerome, we'd like to hear from you now, and I will reread those two very long questions. Why is it important to teach leaders in higher education about the legal treaty agreements between Indian nations and both the state and federal governments with regard to student success? And why is tribal sovereignty so vital to the welfare and future of American Indian nations, students, and education?
2: Yeah, I, I will respond sort of backwards. I, I'm really, uh, The words from Dr. Webb are very important. Shana brought up a secondary point that I think is is giving me the focus of my response, which is if, if we really want to see American Indian students advance, if we really want to support tribal sovereignty and not just from a performative standpoint, but actually take action and have a trusting relationship I think it's important to understand what we're up against. I think uh, the bigger picture is that there's not a lot of work or focus that goes on in recruiting American Indian students into uh, doctoral programs that lead into uh, leadership positions within the universities. And and I think you know there's two uh, recent articles that I read let me just illustrate from one of them. Um, It stated that if you took 1,000 PhD alumni and put them into a room, about 735 of them would be white, 91 Asian, 65 Hispanic, 63 would be African American. The American Indian total would be three. That's out of 1,000 people that hold PhD, three of those, be american indians and so another way it's it's one-third of a percent of uh, native american phd holders most phd holders or doctorals you know uh, those that have doctorates they work in academia they work in the academic and research setting and in order to have that leadership and have that voice at the table we need to recruit and bring those numbers up and this is to allow for the problem-solving and the policies that would be developed to have the indigenous or that American Indian perspective. Um, another piece that I think is really important that it, that really touched me, and I hope I pronounced the name properly, but Dr. Uh, Tsianina Lomawaima. Uh, who is a distinguished scholar in indigenous education and a professor at the School of Social Transformation at Arizona State University you know while there's several individual faculty at universities around the country who champion this work and the Native American issue there are very few institutions or programs that have made a commitment of advancing them and helping support them so You know, I just think it's really important. I think that's why in my journey, I had decided I have to push forward. It's something that I need to do, not maybe for my own purpose, but to help foster and and help develop and mentor other students behind me, that uh, it is possible and it is important. And we have to be a part of this, especially from a sovereign point of view. We have a responsibility, both as American Indian people, uh, to support our our own and to encourage that, but to push the issue and to press our partners at the state, local, and federal level to live up to those responsibilities and find ways to work with us to make this happen.
1: Thank you so much, Jerome. This is all important information and discussion here. We have one final question, and it's going to be about our academic programs. And if, Jerome, you can jump right back in here again. Our last question is, are there academic programs that foster indigenous revitalization efforts?
2: Yeah, I, I just can't speak enough. I'm just so excited. You know, I'm a subscriber to Native News. And uh, just recently, this article, and again, uh, University of of, uh, Minnesota has pushed out that their uh, their school is providing tuition for any registered member of their 11 federally recognized tribes in the state. I, I think that's a, an example of a program that's saying, hey, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to work with those, those tribal governments within our jurisdiction and help make this happen. So again, that is just an amazing uh, you know, commitment, it's a, a great partnership, but at the same time, it's uh, it's living up to that shared responsibility in that unique relationship that can really have some great impacts. Um, I can't speak enough about Evergreen State where I went for my undergrad and the programs there that really support um, all the work that's going on for for the uh, reservation based program and the students there. It's just really excellent to see that. Um, So I know there's areas that need to do more but there are programs and there are examples if we were just to coalesce more and to really maybe put our our pride aside and say, how do we do this and make it a a norm, not a special initiative, but the norm. How can we make this happen so that we can better for all of us, the uh availability to bring these unique understandings? Uh, I think when I do the reading and the research in traditional knowledge holding that comes from the arts, the language, from environmental impacts. There's a lot from our indigenous heritage that we can learn from all of our unique indigenous cultures uh, that can be used as a focus to advance those scholars that wish to use that and to push forward um, in order to to bring benefits for all of us and so i think the way that we do that is to highlight to really speak out those that are doing this work well and to encourage and to challenge those institutions and governments that aren't to 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 do the same to be a a part of the solution and not to exacerbate this problem that we've had for such a long time which is you know low uh attainment and low enrollment of american indian students in higher education
1: thank you jerome so great to hear of all these wonderful examples and ideas that you have shana we'd like to hear from you about this are there academic programs that foster indigenous revitalization efforts that you know of
0: yeah absolutely um well so for me Personally, at, at UC Riverside in my master's program, I was able to take in a native language. Um, I was able to take Luiseno as my foreign language, uh, which was really awesome that that counted as my foreign language. Although I do think that's a bit problematic that it was considered foreign, um, but that's a whole other topic that could take up too much time. Uh, so <laughs> but there are a lot of uh, different schools and universities that have... Um, programs in indigenous studies and American Indian law, um, language revitalization. I know at UC Berkeley, they um, for graduate students, they have an indigenous language revitalization program, but it's not a degree granting program, but it's still noted um, on your doctorate degree that um, you had that specialization in indigenous language revitalization. And I know just other schools, um, something that stood out to me too is the University of Kansas and their partnership with Haskell Indian Nations University, which is a tribal college and university, a TCU. And I think that is just so cool. And I wish more, um, you know, PWIs uh, would partner with TCUs and create those partnerships so that there is that funnel, really, for these students to feel supported um, once they do make that transition to um, a mainstream four-year institution. Um, University of Hawaii has programs. University of Texas, Oklahoma. There's just so many to name, but there's lots of universities that have these academic degree programs. But in my opinion, I feel like it's there's not enough universities, right? I feel like there's still more universities out there who don't have any academic programs, right? So although there is, um, you know, quick Google search can pull up you know tons of schools that that have these programs. There's also a lot of schools that don't have these programs as well.
1: Shana, thank you so much. And it was so important for you to include your discussion about partnerships and making connections with other institutions. So, Eddie, what are your thoughts about the academic programs that are out there and available that foster Indigenous revitalization efforts?
3: Well, I think I think they've come a long way. And I think there have been amazing young native scholars and educators who devoted their lives to develop these programs when and where they can. Um, You know, I mean, you can list them pretty, you know, easily Stanford, Berkeley, UCLA, Oklahoma, Brown, you know, uh, ASU. Uh, NAU has these great uh, summer institutes. And I think that um, it has really grown in the last, you know, 20 years. I think that, uh, you know, the, the, some of the problem has been, you know, the lack of, of, of not knowing how to develop these, which, you know, is the reason we need more native people. Beef- people uh, hired at the universities who can provide this uh, expertise. You know, I think this is the one thing our our group, Maricopa, does really well. I think that they have established an internal, uh, we have a UTEC program, of which, uh, you know, tribal members across the district belong to, and they are really working hard to Get programs. We have something called the Hoop of Learning program uh, that is very, very uh, powerful for our young people to get involved in. And so I think for us at the beginning of college, you know, uh, there are some pretty amazing programs out there. I mean, I've written my first book, Generations Our People Say. Was written at, uh, when I was at Chico State because we didn't have anything. And so I just decided I'm gonna write our a textbook, you know, we'll just make our own program. And we started down that road. And, uh, you know, to Shanna's point, uh, you know, in 1992, Bush uh, held the Native Conference at the White House. And that was the only way people could get uh, native languages in their colleges, you know, to serve as a second language was under the foreign language, uh, you know, departments, and and their authority allowed that to happen, and it's very frustrating, uh, you know, for a lot a lot of people, and. I, I, I often wondered about those sorts of things. And, and not long ago, I was speaking to an elder brother about that, about, you know, when we read things in the literature, we, we, you know, it's like there's dark medicine and then there's white medicine. And, you know, why is it that when it comes to Native people, there's this sense of dark, you know, the dark medicine side? And, and he said to me, you know, he thought, he's 75 years old, a Vietnam vet, uh, Lakota man. He said, you know, I used to think about that too. And I realized that the only way we could save our ceremonies and our songs and our stories was to do them at nighttime. And it was a way, the only way we could do that. And when I think about that language part, it might not be perfect the way we want it, but we got it in there, you know, through the foreign language department. So we got it in there, you know, like kind of at nighttime. If you, if you will. Um, but this is the the resilience of Indian people across this country. We've been this country has been trying to get rid of us for 600 years and we're making a comeback. And we are because of young people that we have on this program today who are devoting them their lives to become an indigenous scholars. And so what a privilege it has been to spend some time with you all and to listen and learn from you. And as they say in our language, Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Eddie. I appreciate all of your answers and all of the insights that you and everyone has given. We have one last thing. We have one last discussion point for our podcast. And this is kind of a fill in the blank. Please complete this phrase. And we're going to start with Eddie. So here we go. I used to think virtual teaching and learning was blank. Now I think virtual teaching and learning is
3: I used to think it was outside of my skill set. Now, I think, I, I think it's just another amazing way we can use a tool to connect and build our beautiful community.
1: Oh, great response. Thank you so much. Shana, same thing. I'll repeat it. I used to think virtual teaching and learning was. Now, I think virtual teaching and learning is.
0: I used to think virtual teaching and learning was just the incorporation of laptops and tablets and computers within the curriculum. And now I think virtual teaching and learning is really the future of education.
1: Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. And Jerome, I used to think virtual teaching and learning was. Now I think virtual teaching and learning is.
2: I think for me, I will share that, uh, Before this, I I really thought that virtual teaching and learning was individualistic and singular. And now I think it opens the doors to many potentials and to connect uh, where we weren't able to connect. So inclusive and uh, filled with possibilities.
1: Thank you so much. And I want to thank each and every one of our amazing experts for their insights, perspectives, ideas, and passionate responses for today's podcast. Any questions or suggestions about this podcast can be sent to VESC. It's V-E-S-C at N-C-U dot E-D-U. Thank you.